Section 2 of National Geographic Magazine, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. South America. Annual Address by the President, Gardner G. Hubbard. Part 2. Population of South America. As the countries of South America were all settled at about the same time, and by the same race, and have passed through a like history, they can be considered as a whole. The United States and Canada, with a rough, uncongenial climate and sterile soil, were settled by the Anglo-Saxons, the remainder of the western continent by the Latin race, and, excepting Brazil and Guiana, by Spaniards. In North America, the Anglo-Saxon race has dominated, carrying civilization from the Atlantic to the Pacific, expelling and exterminating the Aborigines. There has been no mingling of the Anglo-Saxon and Indian races, no backward step, but ever civil, religious, and intellectual progress. The Latin race conquered Central America and South America, a perfect Eden of natural loveliness, one hundred years prior to the settlement of the Anglo-Saxon. Yet today, they constitute but a thin layer over a scarcely populated country. Their leaders were men of unbounded ambition, rapacious, of great endurance, but cruel and unscrupulous. They sought adventure, expecting it would bring them gold and silver. For that end, they plundered, despoiled, and enslaved the Indians. Gold and silver flowed into their hands. Luxury, effeminacy, and weakness followed. The Spaniards in America have scarcely retained the civilization they brought from the old world. They have intermarried with the Indians, and this mixed race is said to inherit the vices of each of their ancestors without the virtues of either. A sparse population, mostly Spanish and foreigners, inhabit a zone ten to twenty miles in depth along the coast of South America, from the Bay of Panama to the Caribbean Sea. All the cities and settlements, except a few in the Argentine Republic, are near the coast. Back of this zone, on the Pacific, is a mixed Spanish-Indian population, much larger than the Spanish and foreign population, and on the Atlantic, a population which is Spanish-Indian, Spanish-Negro, and Negro-Indian, occupies a zone from twenty to one hundred miles wide. Beyond the first zone, a few Spanish families and foreigners are found at the gold and silver mines, on the pampas, at the cattle ranches, and on a few haciendas in Peru and Chile. In Brazil, the Portuguese and some Englishmen and Germans raise coffee and sugar, and oversee the diamond and gold fields. On the Amazon, there are a few small settlements to collect the India rubber and cacao of that valley. Save these sparse settlements, the interior of South America is inhabited by wild tribes of Indians, uncivilized, save for the presence of a few Catholic priests who have given the Indians the cross and the image of the Virgin Mary, which they worship, 
mingling the Catholic religion with their old idolatries and barbarous rites. The natives are believed to be more idle and less civilized than when the Spaniards discovered America. The Spaniards are the grandees of the country. Too proud to work, they leave all business to the foreigners and all labor to the Indians, retaining in connection with the half-breeds all political power. When the regents appointed by Spain were expelled in the early part of the present century, republics were established, but they were republics only in name. The people were neither educated nor fitted for self-government. Their presidents generally exercised the powers of dictators, and often assumed that title. They have rarely enjoyed a long rule, for their power and position were sought by others. Revolution in these countries has passed from the acute to the chronic stage. A recent traveler in Peru, who wished to inspect its railroad system, was informed that only twenty-six miles were in running order, the remainder being under the control of the revolutionists, who were then less than eighty miles from the capital. He asked why the rebels did not take Lima, the capital, and was told, because there is no unanimity among them, they are suspicious of each other, and cannot depend upon any one man. Instead of being anxious to serve their country, they are only interested in robbing her. Another traveler in Bolivia, who witnessed some of these revolutions, says they sometimes occurred three times in as many weeks, and that it would have been ludicrous had not the results been often violent and tragic. There has been no settled government, no continued peace, no permanent policy in any Spanish country. The hope for the future is that the English, German, and French population will increase and become permanently identified with the country. They will then take an active interest in politics and direct the policy and administration of the government. Commercial and banking business is in the hands of the French, Germans, and English. The Italians carry on a small trade at corner groceries and fruit stores. The French keep the hotels and restaurants. The English and Germans are the shippers, merchants, and bankers. Regular lines of English, French, and German steamers run from Europe to Panama, and thence along the western coast of South America, stopping at ports en route. Some return by Panama. Others sail around Cape Horn to Europe by Buenos Aires and Rio Janeiro. Other lines run direct from Europe to Brazil, and twenty-four lines connect Europe and the Argentine Republic, while there are only four lines of American steamers trading to South America. Brazil We have given a general description of South America, but three countries, Brazil, the Argentine Republic, and Peru, require further notice. Brazil, because it is the largest country, occupying three-sevenths of South America, and the only considerable state that was not settled by the Spaniards. The Argentine Republic, because it is the largest and most populous of the Spanish states, and, with Peru, illustrates the political and financial phases 
through which the Spanish republics have passed. The valley of the Amazon makes Brazil the most fertile region of the world. The tropical woods are so thick, and the creepers and undergrowth so luxuriant, that animal life is almost entirely confined to the trees above and the waters below. The valley is not unhealthy, and, though under the equator, the climate is tempered by the trade winds and the evaporation from the vast Amazonian waters. Beyond the valley is the Montanha district, where the land is higher and the climate semi-tropical, where there are few creepers, little underbrush, and open forests, and where both animal and vegetable life is less abundant. Southward, beyond the Montanha district, are the evergreen pampas, where no trees grow and where the animal and vegetable life are unlike either that of the valley of the Amazon or that of the Montanha. As in Africa, so here, men who live in the dark forest die in the open. Mr. Stanley selected thirty dwarves from the tropical forests of Africa to take to England, but as soon as they came into the grasslands, the clear air and bright sun, they languished and died before the coast was reached. Northeast of the Pampas, on the Atlantic coast, south of the Amazon, is a province bounded on the south by a range of high mountains where rain is abundant. At Maranhão, its seaport, there are 280 inches of rainfall in the year. South of Maranhão, there is much less rain, and instead of two seasons, the wet and the dry, which prevail in the valley of the Amazon, there are the four seasons of the year, but without extremes of heat and cold. Over the greater part of Brazil grows the coffee tree, the sheet anchor of Brazilian prosperity, since it furnishes sixty per cent of all the coffee grown in the world. The plant is not indigenous to Brazil, but was brought there about one hundred years ago from the old world. Brazil, inhabited by the Portuguese, with an imperial government, has been saved from the anarchy and insolvency of the Spanish republics. Her railroads have been built with economy and have been generally successful. It had a population in 1885 of eleven million two-thirds of whom were Indians and Negroes, and many of the Negroes were slaves. Slavery existed longer in Brazil than in any other civilized country. The lash was commonly used on the plantation, and work continued from early in the morning until late at night, until 1888, when a law was passed, finally emancipating 1,300,000 slaves. It was opposed by the planters, who said freedmen would not work, but would let the coffee and sugar plantations fall to ruin. It was probably this act which caused the overthrow of the empire, for in revenge the planters joined the insurgents in establishing the republic. The Portuguese and Brazilians are more peaceable and orderly than the Spaniards or Spanish Americans. We may therefore reasonably hope that Brazil will not repeat the history of the Spanish republics, which has been one of disintegration, 
for these republics have separated into two or more states. The greatest difficulty in maintaining its immense domain will arise from the enormous distances and the time required to travel between different parts of the country. From Rio de Janeiro to Mato Grosso is a hundred forty days' journey by land, and by water the distance is three thousand miles. Communication is maintained by steamer through the Argentine Republic up the Rio de la Plata and its branches. Although the country has many long and navigable rivers, yet the means of intercommunication are very poor, for the rivers are little used, and the forests, creepers, and undergrowth are so dense that the country back of the river banks is impenetrable, and even if roads should be opened, the soil is so luxuriant that they would be quickly overgrown and soon become impassable. Lines of steamers have been subsidized by the Brazilian government and run up the Amazon two thousand miles to Tabatinga at the boundary line of Peru, there connecting with lines subsidized by the Peruvian government, which run one thousand five hundred miles farther up the river. These vessels carry supplies to the settlers and bring back India rubber, Brazil nuts, cacao, quinine, and the beautiful woods of the forest. Yet steamers are rarely seen on the Amazon. They have few passengers and have not opened the country. We are told that the Mississippi carries more vessels in a month and the young Tsekyang in a day than the Amazon in a year. The Argentine Republic The history of South American republics is illustrated in the Argentine Republic. It is a vast pampas or prairie, extending from Brazil to the Andes, and from Bolivia with a southeasterly trend 2,000 miles to southeastern Terra del Fuego. The climate of the northern portion is tropical, of the central part semi-tropical, of the extreme south temperate or cold. The country is generally well watered, excepting in the northwestern part where the land is dry and alkaline, like the arid regions of North America. The soil is a rich, deep loam, from four to six feet in depth, excepting in Patagonia and the western pampas, where there is a coarse gravel and detritus from the Andes. Instead of the dense tropical forest of the Amazon Valley, the pampas are covered by a coarse grass, three or four feet high, growing in large tussocks and all the year round of a dark green. The strong grass crowds out all trees and almost all plants, so that scarcely a flower relieves the uniform, everlasting verdure. Instead of the arboreal animals of the Amazon, there is the rhea, or American ostrich, ship of the wilderness, adapted to the pampas, but unable to live in the forests. The gauchos have hunted it for the last three centuries, but it is now passing away, and will soon be lost to the pampas, as the buffalo has been to the North American prairie. 
the pampas are far better adapted to the raising of cattle than our prairies for the grass is always green and the winters are milder cattle horses and sheep imported by the spaniards and turned on to the pampas rapidly increased and now immense herds feed on the plains the indians who inhabit the pampas instead of being confined to one locality and journeying only by canoe like the indians on the amazon wander over the length and breadth of the pampas hunting the ostrich and cattle the cattle are tended by gauchos as the cowboys are called half-breeds as wild as the herds they tend constant warfare exists between the indians and the gauchos unless they unite to attack the settlers after one of the indian raids the government dug an immense ditch from a river to the andes and drove the indians to the further side and since then there have been fewer raids and fewer indians the land was held in large blocks of many thousand acres worked by overseers and gauchos the animals were killed by hundreds of thousands for their skins this state of things is however gradually passing away for during the last twenty years emigrants from the old world have settled in the country as farmers and planters the fourteen provinces which form the argentine republic have never been welded into one nation and have seldom had a moment's peace the gauchos have been a continual scourge and the gaucho generals its rulers and harriers combined unfortunately here as in other spanish states one dictator has succeeded another thirty presidents or dictators have reigned within fifty years at one time five provinces had each a separate dictator the neighboring republic of uruguay formerly a part of the argentine confederation had twenty-six revolutions in the twenty-three years from eighteen sixty four to eighteen eighty seven for some time buenos aires and its dictator ruled the republic then the country provinces rebelled and civil war ensued one province was arrayed against another and all against buenos aires the provinces prevailed and the gaucho general rosas occupied buenos aires scarcely was this civil war ended when a war arose with the republics of uruguay and paraguay money was required to pay the army and the cost of civil and foreign wars every dictator had his friends for whom provision must be made large debts were created banks were chartered two hundred million dollars of paper money were issued there were several different circulating mediums each province strove to outdo the others in the issue of a currency which quickly depreciated companies for different purposes were organized and many were subsidized directly or indirectly we are told that in one case one million five hundred thousand dollars was paid for a concession and that turkish officials 
who have hitherto been the champion artists in bakshish leave off where argentine blackmailers begin the price of a drainage scheme at buenos aires would buy a whole cabinet of pashas at galata railroads were built running from buenos aires in different directions as each province demanded a railroad with little regard to its population or business a road was commenced to cross the andes and open communication between the atlantic and pacific over mountains which had never been crossed by a carriage of any kind the country was not settled so rapidly as the rulers desired inducements were therefore offered to immigrants the passage money from europe and the expenses of the immigrant to his new home have been paid and land for settlement sold at low rates it is estimated that over one million foreigners have settled in the country during the last twelve years and the proportionate increase of population in the same period has been twice as great as that of the united states grazing lands have been sold at nominal prices to immigrants or leased for terms of years in lots of six thousand acres at a rental of a hundred dollars a year bonds were issued not only by the government but by the provinces by the municipalities and by the railroads and all were readily taken in england and germany to enable the immigrants to pay for and to cultivate their land the owner of real estate on depositing his title deeds with the hypothecary banks and having a valuation of his real estate received cedulas or bonds of the bank for one-half its appraised value these cedulas for large amounts were issued and sold in europe and thus as ever more money was required more bonds were issued in eighteen eighty nine a year of peace the public debt was increased a hundred twenty per cent and it is now said to be over one thousand four hundred millions of dollars and the principal and interest of two-thirds of this amount is payable in gold at a premium of two hundred per cent in eighteen ninety there was no money to meet the interest and general prostration ensued it is difficult to ascertain the debt of the republic but if the accounts given in the english publications are correct the debt is greater in proportion to its population and wealth than that of any other country in the world the only hope of the argentine republic is to wipe out the debt by insolvency and bankruptcy peru a strip of land with one thousand two hundred miles of sea-coast without a natural harbor and two hundred to three hundred miles wide consisting of a plain mountains a plateau and still another range of mountains this is peru in the west where the rain never falls are numerous small rivers today mountain torrents tomorrow dry rocky beds between the lofty ranges of snow mountains is the highest plateau in the world after tibet the southern part of this plateau is dry and desolate the northern portion is well watered with beautiful streams running now 
through deep canyons and then through rich fertile valleys steadily descending toward the northeast the valley growing ever broader warmer and more delightful until the montagna is reached only a few hundred feet above the atlantic where the streams have become rivers navigable to the ocean the western slope of the mountains is dry and barren so that breadstuffs and provisions are imported from ecuador on the north or from lower chile far to the south yet no other country has contributed so much to the world's fertility for here are the great deposits of guano and nitrates more valuable than mines of gold and silver these deposits yielded for over thirty years a net annual revenue of twenty million thousand dollars the eastern slope rich and fertile producing every tree and flower all fruits and vegetables grown in any part of the world in the mountains mines of gold and silver platinum and cinnabar copper and tin lead and iron coal and petroleum nitrates and asphalt a bankrupt nation in the midst of untold wealth such is peru to bring the minerals down to the ocean tens of millions of dollars were expended on thirteen roads but though none of them were ever finished they reached a few of the poorer mines seven of these roads were built by the government the others by private parties the sales of guano and the production of gold and silver made peru a proud and wealthy nation everything prospered until the war with chile from eighteen seventy nine to eighteen eighty three ending in the defeat of peru and the loss of a portion of her territory including a large part of her guano deposit she was unable to keep her railroads in operation much less to extend them or to pay the interest on her bonds and thus bankruptcy followed defeat at last after fourteen years of default and six years of negotiation a contract was concluded with peru by mr m p grace of new york in january eighteen ninety on behalf of the bondholders the bondholders became concessionaires and in consideration of the release of the bonded debt due to them by peru receive valuable concessions of money of mines of railroads of lands and of guano these concessions include among other things a government subsidy of four hundred thousand dollars a year secured from the customs of calao the mines of cerro de pasco which have yielded a yearly average of eighty two million dollars for over one hundred years the entire railway system seven hundred sixty nine miles in length of the state a grant of five million acres for the extension of the lake titicaca railroad a grant of four million five hundred thousand acres for the extension of the central or oroya railroad to the navigable waters of the ucayala one of the main tributaries of the amazon the exclusive control of the guano deposit until two million tons have been sold from which they expect to sell at least eighty thousand tons a year which will net one million dollars the concessionaires on their part 
agreed to liquidate the Peruvian debt, to repair the railroads, and construct 974 miles in extension of the existing system at an estimated cost of $16 million, and to assume certain other obligations to a limited amount. This, perhaps the most remarkable settlement ever made between a bankrupt nation and its creditor, is due largely to Mr. Grace, and cannot fail to develop the resources of Peru and restore her days of prosperity. Trade relations with the United States It appears, from the foregoing statement, that all the carrying trade to and from South America, by water, is by foreign steamers, that only four of these are American lines, that the railroads are generally owned and operated by Englishmen, that the bankers and merchants are Englishmen or Germans, that many of the mines, cattle ranches, coffee plantations, and other estates are owned by non-resident foreigners, and that the largest consumer of South American products is the United States, although this country sells few of its manufactures and products to South America. The English steamers, in the usual course of trade, load with English dry goods consigned to English houses in South America, where they are sold and the proceeds invested in coffee and other products, which are sent in the same vessels to the United States, there sold, and the money invested in our produce for carriage to England. The English, therefore, obtain the profits on manufacture, on the freight to South America, on the sale of the goods in South America, on the freight from South America to the United States, on the sale of those goods, and finally, on the freight of the American breadstuffs carried to Europe. For the successful prosecution of any trade between two countries, it is essential that each shall produce what the other wants. Thus, we raise breadstuffs, which are not grown on the Caribbean Sea, nor in the valley of the Amazon, nor in Peru or Upper Chile, and we also manufacture goods required in all parts of South America, where they have few factories. There, coffee, wool, India rubber, cacao, and other articles are produced, which we require. Here, therefore, are the factors necessary for a prosperous trade. Such a trade we formerly enjoyed with South America. In 1852, 600 United States vessels entered the harbor of Buenos Aires, or more than twice as many as those of all other nations combined. Now, only 2% of the shipping entering that harbor belongs to us. Our war came. Iron steamers took the place of wooden sailing ships, we levied a duty on coffee and rubber. South America levied a duty on our manufactures. Other countries subsidized lines of steamers, while we refused all subsidies. And our trade with South America rapidly fell off, as freights were carried cheaper in foreign than in American ships, and the trade of South America passed from the United States to England, Germany, and France. It is said that we cannot regain this trade, because we cannot, without protection, maintain our own manufactures, much less compete with the Europeans in an open market. And therefore, 
that it will be a waste of money to subsidize our vessels. But the larger the market, the cheaper we can manufacture, and we can surely find a large new market for our breadstuffs. It is worthwhile to make the experiment at least, to give our vessels the same subsidy and protection that has been given to the European lines, and to our merchants and bankers, an opportunity to regain the trade with South America. At first, the odds will be greatly against us, but if we show the same energy and ability in cultivating trade with South America that our fathers exhibited, and that we have shown in other directions, we must ultimately succeed. It is now proposed to tax the products of South America unless the South American states reciprocate and admit our breadstuffs and manufactures free. If this scheme can be carried out, a large and prosperous commerce will be established between North America and South America, and American houses will be started in the large cities to dispose of our manufactures and ship the products to South America. By this interchange, our manufacturers and farmers will find a market for their goods and products, our mercantile navy freight for its vessels, and our bankers and merchants a profitable business in the large cities of South America. Railroads We have already referred to the several railroads which start from the little ports on the Pacific coast and run up the valleys toward the Andes. Three of these, among the most remarkable roads in the world, ascend to a greater elevation than any others and to a height which in Europe or the United States would be above the snow level. They were intended to reach the gold and silver mines between the Andes and Cordilleras. The first, called the Oroya, or Central Railroad, 111 miles in length, starts from Calao on the Pacific and crosses the Andes at an elevation of nearly 15,000 feet to the plateau between the Andes and the Cordilleras. It is expected that this road will be extended to the navigable waters of the Amazon. Three hundred miles southward, the second road runs from Molendo, Peru, by Arequipa to Puno on Lake Titicaca, and thence northward on the plateau, four hundred and seven miles to San Rosas, on the route to Cusco. The road from Molendo to Arequipa runs through a country so destitute of water that the only supply for the engines and stations is by an iron pipe eight inches in diameter and fifty miles long, running from an elevation of seven thousand feet to the sea coast. Seven or eight hundred miles south of Molendo, a line runs from Valparaiso in Chile to Buenos Aires, eight hundred and seventy miles. It crosses the Andes through a tunnel two miles long, at an elevation of 10,568 feet above the sea. After leaving the mountains, it runs over the Pampas 200 miles, without a curve or a grade over three feet above or below the plain, and will soon be completed from ocean to ocean. From Rio de Janeiro, several roads have been constructed over the mountains west of that city to different parts of Brazil. One of these runs westwardly toward Bolivia. 
Bolivia has recently granted concessions for the construction of a road from La Paz to connect on the west with the Peruvian roads at Lake Titicaca, and on the east with the Brazilian lines on the Pacific. And thus, ultimately, a road will run from Molendo on the Atlantic Ocean by Lake Titicaca and La Paz to Rio de Janeiro. There are now from 6,000 to 7,000 miles of road in operation in the Argentine Republic, 7,000 to 6,000 in Brazil, and 3,000 to 4,000 miles in the other states, making a total of almost 15,000 miles of railroad in operation. A proposition is now before the public for the construction of the Pan-American Railroad from the Caribbean Sea southward to the Argentine Republic, to connect with the Peruvian, with the Brazilian, and ultimately with the Argentine roads. The route that seems to be most feasible starts at Cartagena, where there is a splendid bay and harbor, within three days' sail from Galston and six days from New York. It follows the valley of the Madalena River, 800 miles to Dividal, 1,700 feet above the sea. Here, near the headwaters of the Madalena, the route crosses the eastern cordilleras at an elevation of about 6,500 feet to the headwaters of the Caqueta or Yapura, a branch of the Amazon, and thence runs down that river 375 miles to the mouth of the Engaros, only 550 feet above tide water. From the Caqueta River, the route passes through Ecuador to Iquitos, Peru, crossing 14 tributaries of the Amazon. From Iquitos, the route ascends the Amazon and the Ucaili, one of its southern tributaries, 500 miles to Nepal, then continues across the montaña and the numerous valleys of the Amazon about 600 miles to Santa Cruz in Bolivia, or 2,400 miles from Cartagena, while a branch will run up the Apurimac to Cusco. This road would run for 2,000 miles along the foothills of the Cordilleras, and in these mountains is probably the richest mining region in the world. Here, gold, silver, copper, lead, and coal mines are found. The gold and silver mines do not seem to have been thoroughly explored, although untold millions of the precious metals have been extracted from them. These mines are generally in cold and treeless regions, where coal, labor, and food are difficult to obtain, where freights are high and machinery of all kinds most expensive. This road would greatly facilitate the opening and working of these mines, and not only make them profitable, but develop a large and lucrative traffic. Much of Bolivia is above the navigable waters of the Amazon, and many of its provinces are now landlocked and almost isolated from communication with the outer world. The proposed road would cross many branches of the Amazon and thus connect with 50,000 miles of navigable waters, at least 9,000 of which are above Iquitos, and it is claimed that the business from 20,000 miles of navigable waters would find by this route a nearer outlet to Europe and America than by Pará. There is every variety of climate on the route. The valley of the Madalena is sultry, 
every afternoon the water grows tepid and the stones burning hot in the sun's rays in crossing the cordilleras the cool breezes of the mountains are met the road then descends into the valley of the amazon through a rich and not unhealthy region though it has the damp hot climate of a tropical country and thence passes through the montagna district which is generally high healthy and fertile this country under a wise government is capable of sustaining an immense population and giving abundant support to such a railroad but it is now unexplored excepting the valleys of the navigable rivers and is uninhabited save by wild and savage indians though these are not numerous the route up the madalena may be expensive by reason of the climate but not otherwise the road in the mountain district will necessarily be costly and also in the sierras because it must cross the numerous ranges of the amazon and the precipitous mountains between the valleys and from the difficulty of obtaining labor and material for construction mr orton who crossed from one branch of the napo to another says we cross the stream and the intervening ridges and their name is legion sometimes we were climbing up an almost vertical ascent then descending into a deep dark ravine to find a furious river while on the lowlands the path seemed lost in the dense bamboos until the indians opened the passage with their machetes and we crept under the low arcade of foliage even if the railroad were built almost all the produce of the amazon and montagna country could be carried more cheaply by water to pará than by rail to cartagena while goods from england and america would be carried cheaper by steamer to the isthmus of panama and thence to all ports on the pacific ocean than by steamer to cartagena and up the madalena across the andes to the valley of the amazon and then a second time across the andes to the pacific ocean the greater part of the business to and from the mines would be by the railroad at present as there could not be sufficient business to pay the operating expenses of such a road it must rely on government subsidies to build and operate it those who have given the most consideration to the subject say that the road need not be an expensive one to operate and in the important element of time it would have a great advantage over the route via para as a means of promoting the settlement of the country and developing commerce which cannot exist without population the railroad would seem to be a necessity for navigation has neither opened the country nor brought in immigrants and we may fairly assume that it will not suffice in the future conclusion in conclusion i will quote from two writers on tropical america buckle says amidst the pomp and splendor of nature no place is left for man he is reduced to insignificance by the majesty with which he is surrounded the forces that oppose are so formidable that he has never been able to make head against them the energies of nature have hampered his spirit nowhere else is the contrast so painful 
between the grandeur of the external world and the littleness of the internal, and the mind, cowed by this unequal struggle, has been unable to advance. Here, where physical resources are the most powerful, where vegetation and animals are most abundant, where the soil is watered by the noblest rivers, and the coast studded by the finest harbors, the profusion of nature has hindered social progress and opposed that accumulation of wealth without which progress is impossible. Mr. Bates, the naturalist, after a residence of many years on the Amazon, closes his book as follows. The superiority of the bleak north to tropical regions is only in its social aspects, for I hold to the opinion that although humanity can reach an advanced state of culture only by battling with the inclemency of nature in high latitudes, it is under the equator alone that the perfect race of the future will attain to complete fruition of man's beautiful heritage, the earth. Washington, January 1891 End of Section 2